Hi, everyone, and welcome to Training for Life Redeemed. I'm your host, Dan, and as always, I'm joined by my father, David Jackson. Now, Dad, today we're starting Job. We're going to do a bit of an overview introduction type thing to Job. Now, you have been working on Job for a long time, and you've written this book quite a while ago. It's Crying Out for Vindication, the Gospel According to Job. So I'm pretty excited to to get into this because I remember growing up with you learning about Job and doing radio plays and that kind of stuff. So thank you. Tell us why we're looking at Job at this point in time. Yeah. I thought um, some time ago when we went into our second lockdown in New South Wales that um, and you listen to people's voices and the things that they're struggling with, and I thought really this is the time to go back to the book of Job. Uh, we in New South Wales, Victoria, we've had bushfires, floods, pandemics, lockdowns. Uh, people have lost their jobs. Terrible things are going on. Uh, and I think in all of that, uh, I've, I've been listening to the questions people are asking about God, about justice, about all those things. And I think you know this is the book God put in the Bible for a time like this. So when better to go back into it? Yeah. In Job, Dad, he seems to live a bit longer than normal and the way it's structured, I know when I read commentaries, they talk about it as it could possibly be a play or it's possibly not. Can you tell us, is Job likely to be a play and then if it's not a play, where might he fit in the timeline? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's 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 not either or. So you have a historical person. We know where he fits. He fits between Abraham and Moses, probably closer to Moses. We know that he is living in the land of Uz. A young man comes along who's a Boozite. Doesn't mean he drinks. Uh, it means he's descended from a bloke called Booz, B-U-Z. And we know that Uz and Booz were the children of Abraham's brother Nahor. So... We also know from Jeremiah that the land of Uz was in the territory of Edom. And when we go to translate Job, it's pretty clear that the language of Job is way back and it's it's east of, jo- of the Jordan River. It's in the land. Uh, it's, it's sort of a half a mix between Hebrew and Aramaic. So it's a dialect and, you know, that's where Job fits. But Job is also written... In a very, po- it's poetry and it's re- it, it's a perfect, it's a beautiful piece of literature. So there's not a choice between it being literarily brilliant and it being history. It's a way of writing history that engages the reader in the argument. Yeah, it's also a way of writing history in a way where when people where people can remember it. It's- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> When you, when you read the Bible, lots of it's very structured and organised in a particular way, mostly because a lot of people were hearing it orally and in order to remember stuff, you know, there's quite good systems that exist to help people remember things. Yeah, I, um, I actually think that, um, you know, I wandered around Asia quite a bit and you find these fellows that are, that are the storytellers. You, you do busking in an Asian market telling stories. And I, I think Job was written for the storyteller uh, to get out there in the market, tell the story, get the crowd yelling and screaming at each other, and then they go down the pub afterwards and that's a nice anachronism. <laughs> you know, they go home, they go wherever they go and they keep arguing and we've been arguing about Job for 3,000 years. 
So it's a very effective play. <laughs> and one of the things I like most about Job is the fact that Job, you know, he's displayed the whole way through as this innocent guy and yet lots of bad things happen to him. And I think that really hits our culture because our culture currently have this kind of mentality of if I live a good life, shouldn't good things come my way? It's kind of like a karma type thing that people have, yeah. even though they you know, don't actually believe in the whole philosophy and religious beliefs behind karma, but they do still have that kind of idea in their head of, you know, even as a Christian, if I've lived a good life and I've followed God's and I'm obeying rules and I've got this close relationship with God, shouldn't things be going better for me? And then you've also got the flip side of that of people who are Christians but who have had poor lives beforehand who are like, you know, am I now being punished for past sins? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I know there's passages in John that talk about that, but how does that connect in with Job for us? Yeah, I think it is true. God is just. One of the things that we wrestle with in the book of Job is that Job held on to five truths. God is sovereign. Nothing happens that isn't God's plan. So you can't you know, rescue God from bad stuff that happens. He's in charge. God is just. So we know that he delivers justice and righteousness. So sins do get punished. Uh, and the righteous do get vindicated. Uh, they get blessed. So you've got the blessings and the curses in Deuteronomy, Leviticus. We know that Job is blameless because in chapter 1, God says, have you checked out my mate Job? He is blameless, he's innocent, and all the rest of it. So that's God's verdict on Job. Uh, we know that what happened to Job is real, and it's horrendous. He loses everything he owns, but he loses his 10 kids, and that's that's unbearable. And then at the end of it, there's this sense that God is committed to Job. He loves him. Job actually expresses that in some of his speeches. You know, it doesn't. So you've got these five things, and they don't make sense. Uh, how can God be sovereign, be just, Job be innocent, and God clobber him like this? So that, that becomes the issue. Now, in a modern world, so if I take, for example, a commentary by David Kleins, it's all God's fault. God, God is a cosmic bully, he calls him. Uh, so we blame God. The ancient world would never do that. So to rescue this five puzzle thing, they blame Job. <laughs> you know, it's all your fault. You're not blameless. But we know the reader, he is. So we're still stuck with these five things, and Job wrestles with them. Now, the solution to that, I think, we find out not really finally. God never explains himself in the book of Job. The reader knows that this is proof that Job's faith is genuine. So the challenge in chapter 1, which is the big theme of the book, is, is it possible to have a real believer? Or are Christians only in it for the toys? You know, is it, you know, God promised us a rose garden and we're therefore committed to him as long as we get the rose garden. Take away the toys and we'll spit the dummy and walk off. That's Satan's charge. And it's not true. Christ, there is such a thing as a real believer who loves God for who he is, not for whether we get the benefits. But when you come to the New Testament, you discover, isn't Job like Jesus? Here is the righteous, blameless, innocent man, and the world hates him. 
And at the end of the day, he's vindicated. And then when you get past Jesus, you know, the suffering servant, you get to the apostles and the early church, and they're going to suffer. God, Jesus says, I'm sending you out in the world to suffer because you're buying time for people to hear the gospel and get saved. And I'm going to hang off on judgment day until you get out there and do the job. But unfortunately, you're going to go into this world that hates you and you're going to cop injustice and you're going to have to put up with all the other things that go with being in a fallen world. But it doesn't mean I don't love you. And so when you find the the apostles in prison being flogged, they're singing and they're saying we counted a great privilege to fill out the sufferings of Christ. So the righteous do suffer, not as punishment, but because we're, we're on this mission to the world to declare the gospel. And there's Job sitting on his ash sheet, ash heap covered in boils. He's lost everything. And he's standing there saying, I will not deny that I am blameless. I will not deny my integrity because God has forgiven me of my sins. I'm not going to cop the blame for this, you know. God's taken care of that. Uh, and th this brings us back to the whole idea of perseverance of the faith uh, and knowing that, yeah, God's in charge. No, he doesn't explain himself. <laughs> you know, he's not accountable to us. That's a big message in Job. Yeah. Um, we're here to glorify him. Uh, it's not about me. <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely something that our culture needs to hear a lot more about is that, you know, the world is not created just for us. It is created to glorify God and we get the benefit of enjoying God forever, but not not, yeah. uh, not, to, not for self-gratification. It's not, yeah. God's not there for us. We're, no, we're and, and, and that's a big thing. You know, I, I hear it really annoyed me when I was teaching Bible in high school. Lots and lots of people got up on assembly and other things saying God is there for us. And you end up with this culture that thinks of, you know, God is my butler. You know, you know, I need a new Mercedes, ring the bell, where are the blessings? You've got prosperity theology running around. You know, give God all your money and he'll make you rich. Uh, and that's swept through Africa. It's terrible, terrible theology. But here we are. I am God's servant. This is Job, my servant. We're here to serve. It's, that's what gives meaning to our lives is that we live to glorify God. And there's great dignity in, in the suffering. So we don't need to, you know, go and sit in the corner and spit the dummy and carry on like a bunch of, you know, whatevers. I, I actually said to somebody the other day, you know, you're in a world, you're raging about the injustice of the world. What did you expect? You know, you've read Genesis. <laughs> what did you expect from a sinful world? You know, it's, it's a terrible, you know, you can use the phrase badly, but sometimes Christians need to hear, suck it up, buttercup. You know, we're called to endure and persevere. And Job is our man, as is Jesus, as were the apostles, as were the prophets. You know, you go back and look at it. We are more than conquerors, but that means we have to conquer. <laughs> Well, Dad, thank you so much. There are lots of other questions that we're going to get to throughout this process, including, you know, whether or not Job does anything wrong throughout the book because he's innocent definitely you know, throughout the book and at the beginning. But that last little end bit, is he still innocent or, you know, has he done something wrong? We're going to look into that a bit more. We're going to look into you know, the whole theological debates that happen throughout this book. 
And we're going to start off with chapter one, where you know, people have plenty of questions about chapter one with Satan talking to God in heaven, having this kind of bargaining argument type thing going on. And I know that we're going to find out who's actually st- structuring and getting this book going in the direction that's going to go. Who's, who's actually in control of these events? It's really sets itself up well in chapter one. So if you're listening, please make sure that you come back next week. Join us for that as we get stuck into Job chapter one. And if you want the study notes that go along with this intro, then you can head to trainingforliferedeemed.com slash 48 and you can get the study notes there. Otherwise, please leave us a review. We'd love to see some more reviews go up in uh, Apple and on Spotify or wherever else you can leave reviews. Let us know what you think of the podcast so far. And of course, ensure you subscribe and come back and join us next week. Mm